verses in the whole Bible. Romans 8 verse 28 and that is what we will continue to look at um, this evening. Uh, But let's begin by reading in verse 26. uh, Romans 8 beginning in verse 26. Let me remind you that what we're reading here is the word of God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are a fallen people living in a fallen world but our God loves us our God is gracious to us and he has given his people many precious helps to sustain them as they seek to be faithful in this world in verses 24 and 25 we saw the gift of hope in verses 26 and 27 we see the intercession of the Holy Spirit And then in verse 28, we have a third help. God's promise that all things are working for our good if we are one of His children. So we're using a very simple outline to unpack Romans 8, 28. Two questions. Who is this promise for? And then what is the promise? And this morning we began with that first question. Who is the promise for? And we saw that this promise is for those who love God. God, And our verse is very clear about that. Not everyone can claim Romans 8.28 as a promise for them. This precious promise is for an exclusive group of people, those who love God. And so we examined ourselves this morning to see if we love God. And I asked you, do you love the true God? Do you love God more than His gifts? Do you love Him from your heart? And is that love showing in your life? Well, tonight we come to our second answer to the question, who is this verse for? And this answer is not distinct from the first answer. In other words, it's not as if this verse is for two different kinds of people. No, there is only one kind of people that this promise is for. But Paul describes these people in two ways. You are either both of these things or you are neither of these things. You cannot be one without the other. This promise is for those who love God. And we see tonight that this promise is for those who are called according to God's purpose. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be called according to God's purpose? How can I know? whether or not I am one who is called in this way. So what I want us to do 
is follow our typical approach. We're going to ask some questions. We're using questions as shovels to go deep into the verse and to pull the treasure out of it. We're going to look to the Bible to find our answers, and we're going to seek to find real help for our souls. So here are the four questions we're going to use to answer from the Bible what it means to be called according to God's purpose. So number one, we're going to ask, what is God's purpose? What is God's purpose? Number two, how does God call his people? Number three, can people resist God's calling? And then number four, how can I know if I am called? You ready? Set? Here we go. Let's jump in. Number one, what is God's purpose? This promise is for those who are called according to God's purpose. So what is this great purpose that God is working out in all of history? We could look at several places in the scripture to show that uppermost in God's heart and mind is his own glory. That God is glorifying himself in history. God is working out a plan that displays his own awesome character for his own enjoyment and for the amazement of creatures that he has created to share in his enjoyment of himself. Let me say that again. God is working a plan that displays his own awesome character for his own enjoyment and for the amazement and enjoyment of creatures that he created to share with him in this enjoyment. In other words, everything and every person that exists in this world exists for the glory of God. There is not anything that exists nor any person that exists from whom or from which God will not get glory. God will get glory from you. He will either get glory by, he will either show the glory of his justice and righteousness as he at the end of all things condemns you for your sin and exerts his wrath upon you, or he will show the glory of his grace and his love and his mercy poured out upon you in Jesus Christ as he blesses you forever in heaven. Heaven and hell exist for the same reason. Heaven and hell both exist as realms in which God will display for all eternity aspects of his glorious character. The question for you and I, is that right? Or you and me? The question for us is this one. Are you an object of God's glorious wrath? Or are you an object of God's glorious mercy? Which kind of glory will God get from you? If you'll turn to the very next chapter, Romans 9, uh, look with me at verses 21 and 23. We see this taught very clearly here. Verses 21 through 23. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So notice what Paul puts before us here. Let this shake in your bones for a moment. 
Paul is teaching here that God indeed has the sovereign right to do as he pleases with every person that he creates. We often love to talk about our rights, but God's rights always trump our rights. God has the right to do as he chooses with us for his own glory. And Paul puts before us that God has chosen for some people to be vessels of wrath. In other words, God's ultimate purpose for these people is that he will show his wrath and make known his power as he acts towards them in everlasting condemnation. They are vessels prepared for destruction. These are human beings who have sinned against God. And we all have. But these human beings are left in their sin and their unbelief. They are given over to their blindness They live under the influence of the devil and the world and their own flesh, just like we used to. They do not know the true God. They do not love the true God. Every moment these people live, they live in idolatry. They live in successive moments of trampling the commands of God and belittling the character of God. And right now, God is enduring with many of these people with much patience. But in the end, his patience will reach its limit. and He will pour out his righteous wrath on sinners in hell forever. This was the teaching of Jesus. Jesus talked often about the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus himself spoke of eternal punishment in Matthew 25, 46. In Mark, Jesus describes hell as a place where the fire never goes out. Paul, speaking in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 about those left in their sin, he says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. I know there are many who scoff at the doctrine of hell. And they say, this is not a God that I like. But dear friends, this is the God before whom we will all one day stand. And we need to pray that we will not be found to be vessels prepared for destruction. If you're here tonight and you are still in your unbelief and you are still refusing to repent and turn to Christ, God will be glorified in you. He will be glorified when He shows His justice expressed upon you and this is the destiny of the majority of mankind the road is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those that find it are few now who is going to be praising God as they see his righteous wrath poured out on the wicked in hell The passage we just read from Romans 9 says that God has not only created vessels prepared for destruction, but He has also created vessels of mercy. And the fact that they are vessels of mercy shows that they are no different than the vessels of wrath. They deserve to be with the vessels of wrath. These are people that also deserve hell. 
These are people that also deserve the wrath of God. But God in His sovereignty has chosen to show them mercy. He has chosen according to His own sovereign purpose to make known to them the riches of His glory. And these people will one day see the wrath of God poured out on the wicked and they will tremble before His awesome power. And they will praise God for his righteousness and for his justice and most of all they will fall down in humility and in gratitude and in awesome wonder that God has chosen to save them these are those who are saved by the blood of Jesus the vessels of mercy are those who are made God's children they will dwell with God forever in heaven They will see the awesome character of God displayed, both His justice and His mercy, and they will stand amazed, and they will share in God's enjoyment of Himself forever. These are the people, dear friends, that are called according to God's purpose. We're going to go to Exodus soon, and we will find our God declaring, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Those who are called to salvation are called not because of anything in themselves. They are called only according to the sovereign will of God because He has a purpose to have a redeemed people from Himself who will share in His enjoyment of His awesome character being displayed. Okay, question two. How does God call a people to himself he has a purpose this purpose includes choosing out of a sinful humanity a number that he will make his own by his mercy at the cost of his son he owes nobody salvation he would be just to let everybody be condemned but instead in his great mercy he has chosen to save a multitude these people will be united to Christ saved from hell eternally blessed by God forever Their names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. How does God actually call these people to himself? Well, first, let's be clear that the Bible speaks about two different kinds of calling when it comes to salvation. There is the general, universal call. Right? There is a sense in which every person in the whole world is called to salvation. We are told to go out into the highways and the hedges calling everyone and anyone to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. There is a general universal call that is to ring out, come everyone and be saved. But that's not the call that Paul is talking about here in our verse. The calling in view here is the effectual call of God. Everybody say the word effectual effectual this is the call of God that causes something to happen this is the call of God that produces an effect God says let there be light and light appears he calls light out of darkness and light comes this is Jesus saying to the dead body Lazarus come forth And a body that was truly dead suddenly comes alive and comes forth. This is the effectual call of God. It says to a human soul, 
that is dead in sin live believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and it produces life and it gives faith and the person lives how does this happen three quick biblical answers number one God effectually calls his people to himself through Christ God effectually calls people to himself through Christ God the Father doesn't do this himself instead he has given the authority to effectually call people to salvation to his son Jesus Jesus said Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It is the Son who has now been given the authority to open up blind eyes and to reveal the Father. Jesus speaking in John 10, beginning in verse 2, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name to himself. He calls them by name and they hear his voice and they follow him. Second, God effectually calls people to himself through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. The Father has given all authority to the Son to supernaturally call people to Himself, and Jesus does this through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, You must be born again. How? It's a work of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind, you do not know where it has come from or where it is going, but it is the Spirit who comes upon a person and gives new life so that that person will respond to the call and follow Christ. It is the Spirit that gives us ears to hear God's call to salvation. It is the Spirit who gives us the heart to respond to that call. And then third, God effectually calls His people to Himself through the gospel. The ordinary way that God works to save his people is through the gospel. The Spirit uses the gospel, the gospel being read, the gospel being heard preached, the gospel being heard in a song. The Spirit uses the gospel to open certain people's eyes, to open their ears, to give them understanding, to give them a new heart, and to give them faith. In the language of Corinthians, it is the gospel that the Spirit uses to show people the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that these people find themselves wanting to follow Christ, eager to follow Christ. People who moments before were haters of God suddenly see God as glorious, wonderful, merciful, and they want Him to be their God. These people are called to follow Christ and they cannot help themselves. Of course they're going to follow Him. They've seen Him. They've get, gotten a glimpse of His glory. Nothing can keep them from following Him. 
He's too wonderful for them not to follow him. Several months ago, I told you a story about a man who was visiting a dying friend. And the man knew that his dying friend was an unbeliever. And he knew that this was his last chance to share the gospel with this man and to urge him before he took his final breath to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came in to visit with his friend, he saw there was another visitor in the room as well. But this man went ahead with his purpose and he shared the gospel with his dying friend. And sadly, his dying friend did not respond well. He did not repent. He would not believe. He would not trust Christ. But unknownst to that man speaking, the other visitor in the room was listening intently. As this man shared the gospel, the other visitor was feeling his heart pricked, his conscience convicted. This person was feeling the weight of his own sin. He began to see Christ as an all-sufficient Savior for sinners. And when this man was urging his dying friend to trust Christ, it was the visitor who felt the call upon his soul, not coming from the man speaking. No, a call that was much deeper than that. The call of Christ. Trust me. Follow me. It was the visitor that believed and was saved. Mount Hermon, what happened in that story? Well, in one sense, both the dying man and the visitor were called to salvation. They received the general call. Both heard the message. Both heard the invitation and the command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But only one of them heard the call. The effectual call of God that not only commands faith, but grants faith. This is the calling talked about in Romans 8, 28. Every preacher worth his salt knows that his job is to call everyone listening to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is not the call that I give from the pulpit that matters most. As I call all to believe in the gospel, it is the Spirit working through the gospel who truly calls the elect to follow Christ. And they believe and they are saved. And so in Acts 13, verse 48, Paul has just preached a very powerful sermon. And we read, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Lots of people heard the message. Lots of people heard the call to believe on Christ. And those appointed to eternal life did what? Willingly believed. <laughs> Voluntarily believed. Eagerly and earnestly believed. Paul preached to many people in Philippi. We're told that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was being said. This is what happens when we are called to Christ effectually. The Lord himself comes and opens our hearts to receive the message. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, he says, I know that God has chosen you. How did Paul know that the, first Thessalon that the Thessalonians had been chosen? How did he know that? 
quote, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says, I came and preached the gospel to you just like I preach the gospel everywhere I go, but I know that God has chosen you because something was happening as I preached to you. I could see the Spirit at work as you were convicted of your sin and as you came to Christ. This is how God calls people to himself. Through the Son, by the power of the Spirit, through the means of the gospel. Number three. Can people resist God's calling? Can people resist God's calling? That's a very common question to this doctrine. Can people resist God's effectual call to salvation? Here's the biblical answer. First of all, if you're talking about the general call that is given to all people to believe on Christ, yes, of course it can be resisted. It's resisted all the time. That, that calling is resisted all the time. I've preached the gospel thousands of times and I am sure that there have been many who have heard and who have heard the call to salvation and who have rejected that, that call. On this very Lord's Day, the gospel has been preached and is being preached to millions all over this planet. Millions are being called to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And sadly, there will be many who resist and refuse that call. But what about the kind of calling we have in Romans 8.28? What about the effectual call of God? Can that be resisted? Can someone chosen by God, name written in the Lamb's book of life, resist the powerful call of God to live and believe? Well, the answer is this. They can resist to a point. They can resist to a point. They can fight the call of the Holy Spirit to a point. But if God has chosen to make someone his own, he will prevail. He will win their heart. He will conquer them with visions of his glory and his love and his mercy. God the Father will cause them to see the glory of Christ to such an extent that eventually all of their resistance will fall away and they will willingly come to the Lord Jesus Christ. John six thirty seven. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? All that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Every person that God has chosen to give to his son to be a part of his bride will come to him. And no one can thwart the purposes of God. There's a very famous poem written by Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. It is a wonderful poem describing the person who is trying to run from God. But the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven. And when God has chosen to make someone his own, he will win them. Listen to how the poem begins. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter 
Up vested hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee. Who betrayest me. In other words, he says, I'm, I'm fleeing this way, I'm flying that way, I'm trying to get away from this pool. And he says, it's happening in my heart, it's happening in my mind. There's this conviction upon me and I'm trying to get away from it. But as fast as I run, there's this constant, deliberate, unperturbed beating of the feet of God behind me everywhere I go. And I can't get away. The poem goes on to tell how the soul simply cannot escape the hound of heaven. He tries all kinds of things in this world to find satisfaction and to get away. He turns this way and then he turns that way to put God out of his heart, to get God out of his mind. And one by one, God strips the idols away. And at the end of the poem, we hear God speak. And God says, And is thy earth so marred, shattered and shard on shard? Lo, all things fly thee, for thou fliest from me. Strange, piteous, futile thing. Wherefore should any set thee love apart? See none, but I make much of naught, he said. And human love needs much human meriting. How hast thou merited? Of all man's clotted clay, the dingiest clot, alack thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me. Save only me. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies is lost, I have stored up for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. But God basically says to the person, I've taken away all of your resistance. And all of the troubles and the anxiety and the frustration that I put you through to bring you to myself, guess what? It's all going to be given back to you a thousandfold. You are my child. Come. And the sinner comes. This is how effectual calling works. If God has chosen you, sure, you may resist for a time, but you will not resist one moment longer than God allows. The hound of heaven will win the day. Last question, number four. Well, then how can I know if I am called? In one sense, this is the most important question of them all, isn't it? How can I know if I am one of the effectually called of God? Well, the Bible gives us clear answers to those kinds of questions. Let me read you just one clear answer. This is from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How? How do we confirm our calling and election? If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He starts with faith. Supplement your faith with, and he says, start with your faith. Maintain your faith. Strengthen your faith. Pray to God for more faith. Look to the means of grace for more faith. And then through faith, begin to grow in hope, begin to grow in love, begin to grow in knowledge, begin to grow in godliness. And what is all this? All this is just assurance that I am God's and that I really have been called, right? You want evidence that you've been called? You want evidence that you're a true child of God? Look at your faith. Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he precious to you? Are you seeking to grow in your trust in him? And do you see your faith beginning to show itself in love and self-control and all these other things? That's where you find your assurance and your evidence. We are told to make every effort to confirm that we are called by living as a Christian, by being marked out as people of faith in Christ, by being marked out by a godly lifestyle and especially love how can you know that you are a called person be one of those people who love god how can you know that you are that you love god well you'll know if you're a called person these things go together follow jesus trust jesus learn from jesus and live for jesus these are the marks of a called person you say justin i want to be that kind of person I want to be the kind of person where it's just obvious that I have faith and it's obvious that I love God, but I don't know how. Dear friends, stick close to the means of grace. Stay in the word. Be among God's people. Be in church. Be in godly fellowship with others. Be on your knees. These are the means of grace that the Spirit uses to grow your faith and to grow your assurance in Christ. Dear friends, I offer to all of us a general call to salvation. I urge every person in this room, old, young, I urge all of us to trust Jesus Christ, to follow Him and to be saved. But I also pray that week after week, as I preach here in this pulpit, that there is another preacher with a stronger call than any I can extend who is working to save every person who steps foot in this sanctuary that on the last day we will stand together and we will look back at our lives and say God really did work everything for our good we are those who love God we are those who are called according to his purpose let's pray